Welcome to Insights, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Insights is an audio podcast that provides perspective on the opportunities and uncertainties facing investors today. Today's program, the Market Insights Notes on the Week Ahead. Hello, this is David Kelly. I'm Chief Strategist here at J.P. Morgan Funds. Today is March 30th, 2020. Last week, Congress passed the Coronavirus Aid, Relief and Economic Security, or CARES Act, a huge package of federal spending and tax cuts primarily aimed at helping the economy weather the recession triggered by a social distancing response to the COVID-19 virus. This legislation is three times the size of the stimulus package enacted in response to the great financial crisis and may be augmented by further measures in the months ahead. It will have significant effects on economic growth, unemployment, the federal deficit, and the fortunes of families and companies over the course of the recession. It will also shape the financial landscape after the recession, with the potential for higher inflation, higher interest rates and higher taxes in the years to come. However, any analysis of the effects of this act should start by looking at the COVID-19 pandemic and the social distancing recession it has precipitated. According to John Hopkins, as of Sunday, there were 125,433 confirmed U.S. cases of COVID-19, up 277% from a week earlier, with 2,201 deaths. The crude mortality rate, which equals cumulative deaths divided by cumulative confirmed cases, was 1.8%. A simple extrapolation of growth in mortality rates over the next few months would imply a terrible human toll. However, both these numbers should fall in the weeks ahead. Social distancing should slow the transmission of the disease, although a long incubation period and a slow start to testing is causing a significant lag between the reality of how many people are contracting the disease and the reported numbers. In addition, since most cases are mild and go unreported, the crude mortality rate likely significantly overstates how lethal the disease is. Slowing the spread of the disease through social distancing, or flattening the curve, is very important to reducing mortality as experienced in both Wuhan and Italy show that overwhelmed medical systems yield much worse outcomes in terms of mortality. Having said this, flattening the curve also means extending the curve. COVID-19 is a very infectious pathogen and it might under normal circumstances have the potential to infect half the population. If, because of temporary strict social distancing, we were able to hold that number to say 10%, then the other 90% of the population would have essentially no resistance to it and many would quickly become infected if we resumed normal social interaction. If social distancing fails, the human toll could be terrible. But if it succeeds, it will be hard for the economy to get back to normal until we have a much better treatment option or an effective vaccine, hopefully within the next year to 18 months. Broadly speaking, the CARES Act should soften the impact of the recession for both consumers and businesses and may prevent a further deterioration in economic conditions beyond the second quarter. Even with this, however, the outlook could best be described as a deep U-shaped recession, or in other words, fall, stall, and surge. The fall began in March, ending the longest expansion in U.S. history. However, real GDP growth for the first quarter should not look too ugly. The economy was relatively strong through February, and while the second half of March saw a precipitous drop in spending on travel, entertainment, leisure, restaurants, autos, and general retailing, it also saw a surge in spending at grocery stores and online, as households stocked up for a stay-at-home lifestyle. However, the second quarter will see a very sharp slowdown in economic activity. Within this, there will be huge declines in consumer spending on travel, entertainment, leisure, restaurant, autos, and general retailing, while spending on food and consumer basics should be flat to down, given the stockpiling of the first quarter. 
Investment spending will be hit hard by a very sharp drop in oil exploration in reaction to the recent collapse in global oil prices. And other investment spending is also likely to be negatively impacted by business uncertainty and shutdowns. Inventories likely fell sharply at the end of the first quarter and should fall again in the second. Home building could see a significant decline of a weather-enhanced first quarter, while government spending could rise due to an emergency response to the crisis. Finally, trade looks like a mixed picture, with both imports and exports likely to fall, reflecting the global nature of the downturn. Overall, we expect real GDP to be down 1% annualised for the first quarter and down 13% in the second. Thereafter, partly because of the cash infusion to the economy from the CARES Act, economic activity could rise at a very slow pace rather than deteriorate further. Still, growth should be slow in the second half of the year and into early 2021 until a vaccine is widely distributed. At this point, we expect a surge in spending in all of the most impacted sectors of the economy. Unemployment should follow a similar path. The outer bands of the economic hurricane arrived in last Thursday's unemployment claims release, showing nearly 3.3 million layoffs, almost five times as high as the next highest weekly peak over the last 50 years. We expect further very high numbers of new claims over the next few weeks as a wide swath of businesses, both large and small, are forced to furlough workers. This will have a very limited impact on the March employment report due out this week, which refers to labour market conditions in the second week of March. However, the April jobs report due out on May 8th will refer to the week of April 12th to April 18th and should display the full impact of the social distancing recession. A rough look at the most affected industries suggests the potential of a job loss of over 16 million payroll jobs, or 11% of employment. Added to this would be a large share of the almost 9 million self-employed workers in the United States. Both of these numbers would be affected in complicated ways by the CARES Act. However, it's worth noting that in a labour force of roughly 165 million people, 6 million of whom were already unemployed before the social distancing recession, the loss of 15 million jobs would be enough to boost the unemployment rate from roughly 3.5% to 12.5%, which would be the highest rate since the Great Depression. Thereafter, the unemployment rate should slowly begin to improve as workers either get rehired or drop out of the labour force. As with GDP, the unemployment rate should improve very rapidly once a vaccine is widely distributed. The economic outlook reflects the impact of the CARES Act in softening the downturn. The Act cannot change the prospect of a very big recession in terms of lost output and employment. However, it may be able to hold the economy in suspended animation by ensuring that sudden unemployment doesn't result in poverty and that many impacted businesses don't go bankrupt. Two programs, direct cash payments to households costing $290 billion and enhanced unemployment benefits costing $260 billion, should greatly reduce the economic pain of joblessness. The cash payment program is relatively straightforward, amounting to $1,200 per adult and $500 per child and phasing out starting at $150,000 for a couple filing joint taxes. Even for those who file their taxes electronically, however, it will likely be a few weeks before the money shows up in their bank accounts. In addition, the expansion of unemployment benefits to cover the self-employed, the extension of these benefits to uh, 39 weeks, and particularly the enhancement of these benefits by an additional $600 per weekly check for four months, should leave most laid-off workers in good financial shape. Average unemployment benefits typically replace 50% of previous income from employment. However, with this enhancement, most laid-off workers over the next four months will receive more in unemployment compensation than they did while working. In this context, it's worth noting that while the average weekly paycheck for all private employees in February was $981, the same statistic was just $620 for the average retail worker and $435 for the average employee in the leisure and hospitality industries. Another set of provisions are designed to support businesses. In particular, $349 billion is allocated for small business administration loans, much of which are forgivable and thus amount to grants. 
specifically up to 100% of the money used from these loans for the first eight weeks after the loan is issued to pay payroll, rent, utilities and interest is forgiven. However, the percentage of these costs that are forgiven is tied to the firm keeping workers on the same payroll and salary. If you lay off 50% of your workers, you lose 50% of the forgiveness. This sets up a weird conflict of interest whereby many workers would fare better if they were fired, while many small businesses might do better if they kept workers on the payroll. In the end, however, many small business owners may conclude that there's not enough to be gained in wheedling a forgivable loan from the Small Business Administration by keeping workers in the books when their business is effectively shut down. The Act also contains a $500 billion fund to help distressed industries. $46 billion of this is allocated for loans to airline industries and other major firms that are critical to national security, while the rest is used as a backstop for Federal Reserve loans to other medium and large companies. All of these loans have provisions prohibiting stock buybacks or dividend payments until 12 months after the repayment of the loan, or reducing payrolls by more than 10% between now and September 30th. Given these restrictions and the fact that these loans are not forgivable, many large companies may not want to trade in operational flexibility for government loans unless they have no other choice. At first glance, it appears that the interaction of much more generous unemployment benefits with additional incentives for firms not to fire workers will play out in favour of more unemployment, leaving millions of workers officially unemployed for the duration of the social distancing recession. This is why we concluded that the unemployment rate will likely climb into the double digits. Other provisions of the law include $150 billion in grants to state and local governments, $180 billion in extra health-related spending, $300 billion in additional personal and corporate tax breaks, $72 billion in outright grants to airlines, airports and the transportation system, as well as additional aid for FEMA and extra funding for food stamps. The impact of COVID-19 on the economy will eventually wind down. Even today, companies and individuals are making adjustments to make social distancing more bearable. Video conferencing and home delivery of goods are clearly increasing, and other business opportunities will undoubtedly arise. The next few months should see a slowdown in the spread of the disease and its mortality rate, and this, combined with better treatments, should allow for some partial relaxation of social distancing. However, if the toll of the disease over the next few months proves traumatic, it may take a widespread vaccination program to allow the economy to fully get back to normal. When that occurs presumably in the first half or middle of 2021, the economy could see an explosive rebound. The recession will likely see an increase in savings rates as consumers struggle to find ways of actually spending money. Once it is allowed again, there will be a huge demand for travel, in-person shopping, entertainment, sporting events and eating out. This surge in demand should cause a rapid decline in unemployment in late 2021 and could result in some inflation at that point. The recent history of the Federal Reserve suggests that they would be slow to respond to such a signal. However, if markets boosted long-term rates, the Fed could validate that in 2022 by raising short-term rates. This is an important consideration. We estimate that the recession in the CARES Act could boost the federal deficit to close to 15% of GDP this fiscal year and 10% next fiscal year, quick, quickly lifting the debt, um, quickly lifting. Uh, the debt in the hands of the public from under 80% of GDP at the start of the fiscal year to nearly 100% of GDP by the end of fiscal 2021. If that debt has to be financed at significantly higher interest rates, the government at that time will have no choice but to raise taxes, with richer households presumably in the crosshairs. For long-term investors, this outlook probably still favours stocks over fixed income and cash. As of Friday, the S&P 500 was still down 25% from its February peak and was trading at a P.E. ratio of 16.2 times last year's operating earnings. Over the past 25 years, the index has, uh, has traded at an average level of 19.5 times lagged operating earnings. If we assume that earnings regain their 2019 peak by 2022, 
then this seems like a reasonable valuation. By contrast, cash yields of near zero and long-term treasury bond yields below 1% appear expensive in a world where a social distancing recession gives way to a social reconnecting boom. That being said, it should finally be recognized that the CARES Act has increased the risk of higher inflation, higher interest rates and higher taxes in the long run, all of which suggests more modest real returns for financial assets in the, real, in the years ahead. Well, that's it for this week. Please tune in again next week. And if you have any questions in the meantime, please reach out to your J.P. Morgan representative. This content has been produced for information purposes only. And as such, the views contained herein are not to be taken as advice or recommendation to buy or sell any investment or interest thereto. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the recipient. The material was prepared without regard to specific objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular receiver. Any research in this asset has been obtained and may have been acted upon by J.P. Morgan Asset Management for its own purpose. The results of such research are being made available as additional information and do not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, statements of financial market trends, or investment techniques and strategies expressed are those of J.P. Morgan Asset Management, unless otherwise stated, as of the date of production. They are considered to be reliable at that time, but no warranty as to the accuracy and reliability or completeness in respect of any error or omission is accepted. They may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide. J.P. Morgan Distribution Services Incorporated. Copyright 2018. J.P. Morgan Chase & Company.